Welcome to Frequent Flyer here. It is Friday, September 24th, 2021 here. And uh, we are, what, three weeks away from the season? Officially opening uh, against the Canucks on the 8th. Uh, preseason hockey, though, a couple days away. I believe it opens on Tuesday. We're on the second day of camp, and we'll have all the updates uh Injuries and uh, opportunities and whatnot. But first, I should introduce my co-hosts for the evening. As always, Manny Benavides is here. Manny, how you doing? I'm doing excellent, gentlemen. And how are you on this fine fall evening? Doing good. It's a nice, nice weather. Not very humid. It's about goddamn time we actually have some nice, cool autumn air outside. I'm tired of this summer horse shit. And <laughs> hockey is coming. It's right around coming. the corner. Yeah. And as always, Mike Aceto's back. Mike, how you doing? Ah, uh, fantastic, gentlemen. It's great to be with you tonight. Looking forward to another great episode here. And uh, I don't think I've actually done a show since Monday. The Flyerside chat went up on Wednesday, but we recorded that Monday night. Um, so we've not had the official injury update here. Uh, Kevin Hayes, uh, six to eight weeks with abdominal surgery. Uh, Sam Moran's knee injury was... As I predicted on Monday's show, somewhere in the middle, it's uh, loose bodies removed from his right knee. Uh, out six to eight weeks, that's dated back to the 10th of September. Uh, Wisdom, obviously, out with a shoulder surgery that he had in the offseason. And Cooper Zek, as well, out six to eight weeks with an upper body injury. Um, just, you know, an AHL guy at that point. So, not great news to start. You know, two of your key forwards, essentially, especially Kevin Hayes. Um, already going to miss part of the season. Uh, it's It opens opportunities for Frost, but, I mean, this is something we talked about all summer, which is if there was one spot where Fletcher kind of ignored, it was down the middle, finding a legitimate 3C. You know, he added Derek Broussard and Nate Thompson, which are good depth additions and could handle third and fourth line if need be, but you really missed that guy that could step into that role you know, of a top six center if need to be. And it turns out, you know, it bit him almost immediately, you know, right as uh, right as training camp opens. Um, it reminds me a lot of the, you know, the, what was it, 18-19 season when they went into camp with uh, Elliot Neuverth. And it's like, really? You can't tell this is a bad idea? <laughs> and it <laughs> fucked him immediately. And you know, we're dealing with kind of the same thing now. It does open the door for Morgan Frost to, you know, is ready or not, you're getting thrown into action here. So... It's going to be a big opportunity, but overall, this is going to be a very interesting storyline for the early part of the season here. Well, the thing that came that came to me, you know, after seeing all of these litany of injuries, and the only one that was contact-related was Wade Allison's, was, you know, the Flyers finally assemble this roster that, for the most part, we're all really excited to see. Yeah. No matter what your viewpoint is on the team, this roster was one that was the most interesting in about a decade. Everybody is rolling, ready to go. And 
you don't even have any preseason games. And all of a sudden, we're already down a couple guys for a significant period of time. So it's it could not get any more flyers than that. And the thing that, you know, I guess you I guess if we dive into the Hayes injury, I got a problem with every single one of them. And this one is just so baffling because it's what the day or two before training camp starts. And he has this core muscle surgery. He had um, he had the abdominal surgery. What, like back in April or something? It was or May. May. Yeah, it was May. May. Yeah. And usually when players get that, we've seen it with Giroux and Gossespierre and other players in the past is they get that. And then it takes them months to recover, and they're still not the same player the following season. Yeah. They can't skate right. Their mobility's off. Of course, they don't sit out at all. The team just suffers. <laughs> but we've seen that time and time again. And that was kind of expected from Kevin Hayes. Okay, he had the surgery. He's probably going to be, you know, maybe only 85 90% throughout the season. Okay, you can deal with that. Now, he has this surgery. Inexplicably, the day before camp starts, you add that to the fact that he had the family tragedy with his brother – I am not too confident this is going to be a real productive season for Kevin Hayes. You already needed a bounce back season from him, and now it's, you know, twofold of reasons why you're not going to be able to get it. But I guess it was like emergency surgery or something. Like, apparently this just happened when he showed back up in Philly, that he was practicing and went, ow, my crotch hurts, and he went and had surgery to fix it right away. So I I don't think these are the same injury, uh, you know, going back to fix the first one. This is something completely different, which that's even worse. Now you've got two abdominal injuries to heal from. Sweet Jesus. Yeah, I mean, listen, his offseason just keeps getting, you know, ruined and ruined even worse. But, I mean, I think as Dan was alluding to earlier, I mean, you can't really do much about the surgery. The only thing I would say is it's kind of better that it happens now rather than in the middle of, you know, the season or right when you're about to get to the trade deadline or the playoff push. It's it's better that it happens these things happen now and you kind of get to sort yourself out in training camp and look at combinations and maybe get a look at other players that you might not have otherwise given much of the time of day to. I think the beginning of the season realistically is going to be a learning curve. And I think if the Flyers are going to be hovering around 500, certainly for the month of October uh, and probably for a good chunk of, you know, November, maybe to American Thanksgiving, I think that's kind of expected. And then once they work out the kinks and, you know, they get a little bit of chemistry going and they get to figure out sort of who's going to be playing what on special teams and get their defense pairs and their lines going that's when you can reincorporate a guy like Kevin Hayes and that'll, that'll be fine. I think that they should be okay with that. The, the thing is it's opportunity, right? It's the opportunity though is, is fascinating because you're giving it to Morgan Frost and I'm not even going to say you're giving it to him. It's really by necessity because he's really the next guy that's, that's up that you can give that top six spot to at the center position. The thing with Morgan Frost is you also have to temper your expectations a little bit too. He is going to have some growing pains. He's going to have to work his way out, but at the same time, they're not just giving him this opportunity. He needs to seize this opportunity with both hands. And ideally, if he can take that spot and Kevin Hayes can be the three C going forward, that would be unbelievably good fortune for the flyers. Uh I wrote the piece uh, the other day about, you know, it's Morgan Frost's time to shine. And I had a hard time avoiding the word make or break because it it feels too strong of a term 
but as far as opportunities go, you know, when is a bigger one going to fall into your lap than this right here? Completely unopposed second line center. Your job, nobody else's. Who else is even going to challenge for that role unless they move the Drew back to center? Like, it's his to lose right now. If he goes out there and can hold down the fort, it's a career-making opportunity. If he goes out there and is way over his head until Kevin Hayes comes back, it's career-making in the other way. You're destroying your career, right? Then you have nothing. Then you're a worthless fucking prospect that'll probably get traded to the trade deadline. I hope he goes up and succeeds. You know, he was very good at development camp. He was very good at rookie camp. He was very good in the rookie games. He's had some flashy highlights here. But again, they're just camps. They're just camps with nothing. And, you know, here's a video. Here's a seven-second video of him deking around a 45-year-old Danny Breyer who's standing still. Oh, my God, I'm ready for the season. You know? It's like none of that matters, right? You know, until he's going to go face Victor Hedman, who's going to try and take his fucking head off when he hits him, right? So, I don't know. I, I hope the best for Frost, but to say I'm worried is putting it uh, lightly. <laughs> and one thing that AV had mentioned, too, I think this was either today or yesterday, was... He basically was like, this is this is the time for Morgan Frost. I expect him to be a top six forward. That's where he's slotted into. And I think if you're Morgan Frost, you're kind of like, wow, I wasn't really expecting this. You know, when when he came into training camp here, he probably thought, well, he was a phantom. Um, yeah, I've played in a year or whatever. I'm going to need at least a month months, or two in Chell games. Yeah, 18 months, uh, you know. He's got to get back up to game speed, and that's going to take some time, and, and you can't do it without the Flyers. So his whole world has completely changed around. I, I kind of like the way that AV approached it as well because it's kind of like, look, look, kid, this is your shot here. You need to perform. You need to be better off the puck. You need to contribute. Um, we need you in the lineup and being productive. And if you're not – we're going to have to move on with one of the veterans who doesn't have nearly as high of a ceiling as you do right now. Um, it's a lot of pressure, but I kind of like the attitude with it. It's like, look, kid, now's the time to shine. You better do it. Yeah, and I would agree with that, too. The other thing, though, is it's he's he's in a good situation. The only downside is the fact that he's played, you know, four periods of professional hockey in the last year and a half. If he was not injured last year and he was coming into camp fresh and with experience, I wouldn't really have any qualms at all yeah. about about this scenario. The only thing is he needs to get back to game speed. And I'm sorry, rookie game is not game speed. Um, <laughs> it's, not? It's, not, it's not even close. Um, that being said, from what I've heard, I think it was Ant San Philly on Snow the Goalie today said that Morgan Frost was playing with James Van Riemsdyk and Joel Farabee. Yes. And that is about as good as a spot as you can put this young man. These people that have been screaming for the last three years about who cares, put him on the fourth line, was the stupidest idea. Like, you could tell them th these are people that have no idea about what roles <laughs> and lines the actually NHL in the factor. NHL. Yeah. Like, Morgan Frost playing 10 minutes a night when he obviously has had, you know, part of his game that is lacking is the defensive side of the puck and being away from the puck. When the puck's on his stick... That's what a guy like Morgan Frost, that's when he plays his best, is when the puck is on his stick, and especially if he has a couple of seconds of time. If you give him time, he can do crazy things with that puck. We've seen it. 
The problem is, is if you put him in a situation where he's playing 10 minutes a night with, you know, Nate Thompson and, you know, Abe Kubel or whoever on a fourth line, he's not going to be growing as a player. He's not going to be working on those skills that you want him to work on. He's not actually going to be helping your squad. It might look good overall on a depth chart that Morgan Frost is in the top, you know, top 16 or, or whatever, right? Sorry, top 15. But uh, reality is, is he's in a good spot now with talent around him to actually make a difference here. And he has to come up and seize that opportunity. And based on what we've seen about he's, you know, 190 pounds now, he looks a little bit bulkier. Uh, he looks a little bit more like he's ready to take on this added responsibility. I think the light bulb for him wasn't the injury to Kevin Hayes. I think the light bulb, if it was me, if I was Morgan Frost, the light bulb would have been, wow, they traded Nolan Patrick. Like it was me and Patrick were kind of like, back and forth and, and always in that competition together for who was going to be the guy. And now he's gone. So I need to get into shape and get ready for this camp coming up. Cause this is a big one. And you know, if he takes hold of it, great. If he doesn't take hold of it, then there's still questions. I think he'll get an opportunity again, but I don't know if it'll be as good an opportunity as this one right now. That was the, the thing in what you alluded to, I've talked about, on, especially on the Anthony show, the NHL 21 factor, right? You want him in the NHL just for the sake of saying that he's in the NHL. But at the end of the day, that's not where he fits. You can't just plop him on the fourth line and let him succeed and grow naturally like you would in a video game. You know, there's roles in the NHL and, and you know, the personality and working through everything. Like, there's too much to lose in somebody like Frost right there. And part of the reason why, you know, I was all for him starting with the Phantoms, you know, mainly just to get his feet back under him, right? It's been March of 2020. <laughs> no, was the last time he played any kind of legitimate hockey was before he shit at the fan of the pandemic. And, like, four periods of hockey last year before he destroyed his shoulder, you know, that's not a lot. You know, if anything, you wanted him down in Lehigh to kind of, you know, get his shit together for at least a little while before you gave him an opportunity. But now he's going to get thrown right into the deep end. And, you know, it does seem like he's bulkier now. He said he's 190. If he's, you know, if he's 5'11", 190, you know, it's about Albie Kubel's size. You know, he, he can hang in the NHL. He's a very good playmaker when he's given the opportunity. And again, this is one of those things where if he is going to see NHL time, Put him on the second line. You know, I, I don't see a reason to put him in the depth. If you put him on the second line and you put him with, you know, Farabee and Giroux, you know, you're giving him a legitimate chance to succeed, to play his game as a playmaker, dish to two of the better scorers on the team, right? This, this, this is just how you're going to succeed. And again, if he does not succeed this time around, it's not the end of the road for Frost, but it sure is going to put a ding, you know, in his potential in the long haul. But hopefully that doesn't matter. Hopefully he can come in and, you know, he can shake off some of the cobwebs, you know, for not playing so long through training can and whatnot. Maybe the the fact that he knows that he's going to make the NHL, maybe he's working a little extra harder now, you know, during the drills and whatnot and, and figuring shit out um, before he makes the jump. But uh, I would assume he sees quite a bit of time in the preseason as well. Uh, which starts next week to, again, get some of that, you know, feel for the real game, uh, you know, back in his step. Well, I wish that he would have taken his shirt off during that press conference <laughs> when uh, it was Wade Allison asked him or somebody asked him about how his, you know, his physique was or something, because 
he always has been known as a small player. He's 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 been a diminutive player since he was in juniors, and that was no secret that the organization. The thing we heard from Chris Pryor and Ron Hextall and even Chuck Fletcher for years was how small this kid was. Yeah. And finally, it does appear as if he has matured enough to fully fit into his body and compete at this level, which is a breath of fresh air because it's been so many years of, well, the kid might not be able to handle it. And the hit last year or whatever year it was uh, that knocked him out, I don't know if it was the hit or he just landed awkwardly into the boards. It was just a bizarre kind of play. It wasn't a super hard hit. No, it was no. just kind of. I guess it was just a regular. It was the Katuri had one when he got hurt too. It was just it was a normal contact hit where he destroyed his rib cage or whatever the hell it was. And uh, <laughs> Frost was kind of the same thing. Would you just kind of? It's just a you know average play that went wrong. So hopefully it was just bad luck and not you know perennial Michael Neuvert syndrome here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dan, when you saw him with the Phantoms for a period of time, how physical was he down there? You know, like the AHL is known as a league where the body gets thrown around. Did you see him kind of absorbing hits and whatnot, or he, he was kind of in the perimeter player or what? His play away from the puck was always super concerning. You know, he, he was so – I met him um, during 19 training camp, during the Phantoms training camp in 19, and he's listed to 5'11". Unless he's grown in the last two years, I call bullshit because I'm 5'11", and he's at least two or three inches smaller than I am. I would guess he's like 5'9". Um, but that was always the thing. You know, you would see the highlight reels of him making a great pass or whatnot, but, you know, unless you're in the building watching him every night, which you can kind of circle him out, you would notice a lot of the things like the physicality. He was overwhelmed physically quite a bit, and, mm-hmm. you know, the defensive skills weren't always the best, and that was always the kind of issue that I had with Frost. And then when he made the NHL, when Katuri got hurt, uh, it was, you know, during 1920, he looked good when he was on the top line, again, flanked by Giroux, and I guess it was Konechny at the time, but when he got dropped down to the third line, he was totally in over his head and looked like shit, right? And it was very similar to what we saw in the AHL. And that's the worry this year as well is, I think as long as you insulate him properly with the line mates, you're going to be able to at least make him look good. You can play to his strength, right? But it is when Kevin Hayes comes back and you have to drop him to the third line uh, if he hasn't you know, successfully secured uh, the second line by then um, that you're going to have to worry. It, it, it's not the offensive part of his game. That's not concerning. The kid has some great hands. He can score some goals. He's got all that. It's the rest of the game that wasn't there. And that's the stuff that's especially going to get exposed at the NHL level, especially if he can't you know, make up for it offensively. Yeah, but that's why I really like the lines that they've been playing around with in, in camp so far. Like, you've got them with JVR, who's a vet, and JVR, by all accounts, had a much better defensive season last year. Yes. So hopefully he can be counted on to at least not regress in that area in order to help support Morgan Frost. And then you've got Joel Farabee, who's the, you know, the little engine that could, he just keeps going and going and going and his motor doesn't stop. And I mean, he's not perfect defensively, but he does give you that energy level and he will back check. Um, So I'm not saying that Morgan Frost is exempt from any of that, certainly, but the idea is that you're putting guys around him that will help him with that transition you know they're not going to leave him exposed there every single time and if there's a play where he kind of knows that he screwed up he's got cover 
And then you look at the way that they've retooled the defense. That plays a big role too, and that should help, you know, shelter it and and sort of uh, you know stop the bleeding or slow the bleeding a little bit, uh, of course, as well. It would be great if Frost could overtake that two C role, and then when Hayes comes back, he's a he's essentially the three C. Yeah, but slots into more of like that defensive minded three C, like okay, let's just try to limit the damage when I'm out here. I'll play the PK. I don't need to be responsible for scoring at a 2C level. Kind of gives him a little bit more flexibility to kind of come back, and it gives Morgan Frost a lot more offensive opportunities, which obviously suits him a lot better. So um, that would be fantastic. You know, regardless of of the salaries here, I'm, I'm just looking at Cap Friendly real quick with Frost here. He's, this season he's making $863,000 um, off – off his ELC and then he's an RFA next year. So if he does take off, you know, perhaps you give him some sort of bridge deal and he's your two C making, I don't know, 2.5, $3 million. Well, who cares if Kevin Hayes is the three C then because you're getting that production out of frost. So uh, ideal situation. There's some positivity for you. Fingers crossed. I think it is an <laughs> ideal situation. I think putting Hayes on the three C and kind of letting him play his game you know the the thing about Kevin Hayes, and uh, you know we've mentioned this in the past, is he had a career year in 1920. In you know his offensive ability, his defensive ability, just he was a master at everything. And <laughs> you come into a new city and a new team, you have a career year, and then the following year you can't live up to it, and you're injured, and you're all this, and it's kind of like oh man, you know you kind of let everybody down even more because you were so good the year before. You know I, I think. What we saw last year isn't the normal haze because he was injured and it was a double injury, so it probably fucked him up real good. But, uh, you know, I, I think letting him kind of hang in that more defensively responsible slash penalty kill role is probably better for him, you know, in the long run. And let somebody like Morgan Frost or whoever find a more offensively driven guy to put in your top six and let Hayes kind of handle more of the defensive responsibilities. Cause he's not young anymore either. You know, this is not, you know, a, a, a an up and coming guy. This is a well-established vet at this point in Hayes. And I, I think just letting him kind of handle the role defensively is ideal. So hopefully frost pans out at two C and uh, if not, you know, there's going to be your uh, big wish list acquisition at the uh, trade deadline. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would absolutely want, Frost, I mean, we talked about this on our last show, and I, I have reservations with Sean Couturier and Kevin Hayes as your one-two punch down the middle for the next four four years or so. I just don't think it's good enough. But if Frost hits his ceiling sooner rather than later and you get a Coots frost Hayes down the middle, then different story. I think that's better balanced. Players are in better positions, um, and that would be ideal. And I think the money could work as well. They wouldn't be totally out elsewhere. So uh, I guess that's kind of where my head is now. Is you know, like you guys were were saying, you know, these things can be opportunity for other players, and maybe we can uh, see something happen with it. See, the other thing is like what we're talking about here is all like theoretical. Yes. It's all in theory. <laughs> Yeah. The in the interesting thing for me is going to be when you're actually in a game situation and you have matchups, and we kind of lucked out. Like we we got news earlier this week that Malkin's going to be out two months. Uh, Crosby's not going to be ready to start the season, 
you know, those are the types of matchups where if you've got to face a, a Crosby Malkin one, two tandem, that's where more, a guy like Morgan Frost might be a little overwhelmed oh, yeah. and it's not due to skill level. It's just the experience factor. Those guys know how to, they've been in the league for a long time and they've played really tough matchups in big time situations. It's when you start looking at teams like, you know, the Rangers, you know, they got Zabinajad, they've got uh, what Philip Churdle. Um, that's where you can kind of see like, hopefully Frost can, you know, can stick around with with those guys it'll be like when you see you know uh jack hughes and nico he you know what's that what are those matchups gonna look like and you just hope that you know the players around frost and the upgraded retool defense is gonna be enough along with the bounce back with carter hart that uh, it won't really be as much of an issue and certainly you've got some vets like you know the Nate thompsons and Derek brassard's to help shoulder the defensive load as well yeah that's the uh, thing with this whole frost is is we can sit here and i think the flyers are going to do their best to insulate him you know as well as they can but you know, in the real world thing, this is a guy with a very little NHL experience, very little pro experience even at this point. You know, coming back from an injury and being thrown right into the deep end and all this shit. So there, there is enough uh, worry there where this could go sideways. But I'm going to be positive right now, God damn it! I don't want to think about Morgan Frost being complete fuck up just yet. Wait till it happens in November and then we can talk. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Let's <laughs> give him a chance. Slot him Absolutely. in there. See the fireworks. <laughs> the other uh, thing, wait, Allison out. That one's more just heartbreaking than it is effective. I don't know where the hell he was probably going to slot in. My guess is, and we broke this down in the Anthony show, uh, I think last week, um, you know, talked about where it would be. And probably regardless, it was in a bottom six right wing role to at least start the year. Um, so, you know, in terms of the impact on the game, you probably wouldn't have had much. But this is just one of those guys that has been so important, I guess, in his short time. Was it 14 games last year? And going into this year, you know, it looked like he was working his ass off. And he's such a personable guy. And it's been such a long time since we've had somebody like that on this team that you know, just seemed like the lifeblood and it was fun to be around like Scott Hartnell, maybe, you know, was the last person that was like this. And I I think it's more just the personality than anything that you're losing in Allison. And and I'm sure in the room, they can feel it as well that he won't be there to start the year, but man, some bad luck uh, for this guy. It's, it's hard. You know, it wasn't, it's almost like his playing style is going to leave him exposed to this kind of injury stuff, right? When you go kind of as hard as he does, and we all saw the play, even though it was, you know, grainy cell phone footage, it wasn't anything overly crazy. It was just a collision in the boards, right? It happens. So, not going to be uh, ideal that he's going to miss, but, you know, nobody's going to come in and really take his role. There'll be a spot waiting for him, you know, push out Aubrey Kubel, hopefully relatively easily when he comes back, and you know, work his way back up the ladder from there. But hopefully this is not a super consistent thing throughout the rest of his career. And it was just kind of a, you know, a one-time injury and whatnot. But, uh, man, I was excited. I was excited for it, Allison, goddammit. And they took it away from me. Yep. Yep. And it happened in the fucking second rookie game, didn't yeah. it? Fucking second rookie game, which I was super pissed about. And I'd like to bring that up now and get you guys' thoughts on, on this topic here. And, you know... Wade Allison is just about 24 years old. 
He was drafted by the Flyers, uh, what, maybe five years ago at 2017, this point? I think. It's It's been a while. He went through all four years in college after he was drafted. He's been to five development camps. He played a month in the NHL last season with the Flyers and looked very promising. He also has a history of injuries, leg injuries. And for the life of me, I'm thinking, like, look, this is a fucking rookie game. Not only just is it a rookie game, but it's the second one back-to-back. Yeah. And do you really have to have a player that is going to be in your starting lineup in a game like this, playing against other competition, most of which will not really even sniff the NHL? And, you know, I posted something like this a couple of days ago when this happened, and there was a couple of retorts to the effect of, well, every rookie has to go through it. Look, Oscar Lindblom did it. These other guys had to do it. I'm like, well, this isn't a rite of passage for every single player in the NHL. For the Flyers, has to play in back-to-back rookie games. at age. Every player is <laughs> different. And I'm saying if, look, if Wade Allison's going to get injured, make it against the proper competition in the right context. I mean, he was in a fight the game before yeah. at the rookie at the rookie game, which was hilarious. But maybe there's a little bit, you know, it's definitely a freak accident, but maybe there's a little bit of culpability on the organization here to say, hey, wait a second, this, what doesn't fit here? You know, if you look at the whole, whole picture, why is this guy really playing this game? Because the style of playing those rookie games is pretty hardcore. I mean, those guys don't have anything to lose. At least half of them don't. They're playing out their ass because they're trying to get noticed. And, you know, I don't need a guy in my starting lineup to be the victim of something like that. Not that there was a victim play, but, you know, I don't know. I just put a little bit of blame on the Flyers in this sort of situation because I just would be a little bit more careful with a guy like Allison. What do you guys think? I see both sides of this argument, you know, in terms of not playing him versus playing him. And the thing with these rookie games is – Everybody's looking to make a name, right? Everybody's going to go just a little yep. bit harder so they have that chance to, to you know, get seen and, you know, potentially crack a roster spot that they otherwise wouldn't have. Um, so I, I do understand where it comes from. But, yeah, as you alluded to, this was his second game. You played him in night one. He had a fight. He stood up for a teammate. We all know he's making the roster regardless. It's not like this is a fringe guy. You know, this isn't a Connor Bunneman or anything like that. This is a guy that's probably going to have a roster spot carved out for him. And it, it almost goes back to kind of someone like Sam Moran, where we know this guy, I don't use the term injury prone because it's too strong, but he has an injury history. Right, you know that he's got those knee problems and that he's got a history of reaggravating this stuff, and it just feels like a guy for Wade Allison. It doesn't feel like he has that fifty percent game in him, right? You know, he's a guy that's going to go hard every time you play him. So, you know, when you get involved in a puck battle in the boards, is just a, a regular play, but you're putting him in a situation where he could, you know, arguably get hurt. Yeah. I don't know. I, I get it. You want to see what he's got. You want to give him, you know, enough chance to be ready for the season, but you know, does somebody like that need to be in two games of a rookie tournament? You know, it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but you know, I don't know. Yeah. I, I definitely see both sides of the coin for uh-huh. this argument. Um, it's just, you know, unfortunately it did happen and, and, you know, now they have to feel the repercussions of it happening. So maybe it is something that 
it's a learning experience through Allison. And maybe if something like this happens in the future that they think twice about, you know, rolling that guy, whoever it is, out for the second game if there is a potential injury concern there. Yeah, I, I'll agree with uh, Dan. I mean, I saw your tweet, Mike, and it was a legitimate question. Like, it was a legitimate critique where you say, did you really have to put Wade Allison through this? Um, and you weren't the only one that tweeted that. Mm-hmm. I know I know. Robert Thomas, a.k.a. Bobby Thomas. <laughs> By the way, Robert Thomas, congrats on signing with the St. Louis Blues. <laughs> uh, you know what? Beer, beers are on you next time, uh, next time uh, everybody gets together. But um, there was other people who tweeted the same thing. And I was a little bit stunned at the at the anger in the response yeah. to yeah. to that question, and the, how dismissive it was. Like, don't be silly. Of course, of course, nobody could have predicted. <laughs> nobody could have predicted that Wade Allison was going to get hurt. And it's like, well, no, you don't point. predict that he was going to get hurt. But and, and it one was a, a a big time Flyers beat writer who was like, well, he's a rookie. He has to play in those in these games. And it's kind of like, as Dan alluded to, he was going to be on this roster. Like, there's there's no way that Wade Allison was not going to make this roster. He had a spot. He was he was one of these guys that's that's in the rookie camp and the prospect games and all that. You already knew he was making the team. It would almost be more valuable for the club to say, all right, Wade, we saw you in game one. You had a fight. You took a couple of huge shots at the beginning of that fight and you stuck with it and you knocked that big bastard down. Good for you. You don't really have anything else to prove at this point. And when you actually look at his injury history, so this is from the Philadelphia Inquirer. It says, like Morin, Allison is a physical player who has had a history of injury misfortune. During last year's training camp, he injured his right ankle and it required surgery. Yep. While at Western Michigan, Allison suffered a slew of injuries, including a torn ACL in his right knee yep. and a shoulder ailment, which caused him to miss significant time. This is not a guy that is like Mr. Iron Man and he's, you know, uh, you know, impervious to missing games. He's not like Ivan Provorov. There's a little bit of history there. And at least if the club was to be a little bit sensitive to that, I can totally see Mike's point where they say, eh, this guy's going to be on the team anyways. And why put him in that second rookie game? It's not ludicrous and beyond the realm of possibility to do that. It, it, it's, I mean, I mean, I mean, no, I mean, I mean, listen, you couldn't predict the injury. Nobody could predict the injury. Of course, injuries happen. It's you can hockey. do things to avoid game. putting him in that situation. Right. And I, and, I, and I think that there's at least room for a discussion where the team could sit there and say, was it really the smartest thing? You know, what if what if the next game in game two, somebody wants to get a little bit of revenge for that fight that, that he had and they and somebody goes after him. And, and who knows? Again, teams like the Calgary Flames, they hated it when Jerome McGinley fought. Because we're like, they were like, dude, yep, you're yep. one punch away from breaking your hand. You're a 40, 50 goal scorer. If we lose you, that's a bigger loss than you winning a stupid fight. Like you're a first line player. You're a captain pretty much like you're a most valuable player. 
We can't have you going and beating on guys. And I know that he loves to do it and he does it with a smile on his face. And that's the kind of guy that I see kind of Wade Allison as not, not offensively anyways, but great shot. He sticks up for his teammates. He's willing to do the thing. He said the right things in the post game interview. Yeah. Tired of this. Nobody's going to be pushing us around and doing this kind of stuff. I don't care how big this guy is and kudos. He went, he fought the guy, but I don't know. He, he didn't re- I see why he played the second game, but he didn't really have to play the yeah. second game. And you know what? Now it sucks because, you know, we're missing him. And now, again, opportunity knocks for a guy like Lin- uh, Linus Sandin because he's 25 years old. And that's pretty much the next guy up on the totem pole. I, I don't see Tyson Forster, you know, making making the club as impressed as I was with him in that first game. It's Linus Sandin's job, uh, you know, to, to lose, I think, at this point. Yeah, and you guys mentioned, you know, the style of competition. I think that that can't be overstated here, is that the rookie games are filled with players trying to make a name for themselves. They're treating it like it's Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final because they're trying to win roster spots. That style of play is wildly inappropriate for a player like Wade Allison at this stage of the preseason. Yeah. It's not even training camp yet. He doesn't need to be in that environment. He needs to be in the environment with the rest of the NHL players. And if he gets hurt during meaningful times, perhaps even during a preseason game, fine, but in the regular season, fine. But that's a meaningful time against the right style of competition, players that are playing at the right level, not like it's game seven, the Stanley cup, and they're trying to beat the shit out of somebody. So they get noticed. That's my problem with it mostly. And I'm glad you guys really, really mentioned that because I think that's the critical part here. I think you're in a weird catch-22 with with Allison. And I feel the same about Sam Moran, where because of his injuries, you want to play him so he can get ready and prepare himself and get comfortable and kind of know his limitations. But at the same time, you don't want to overwork him in scenarios where he doesn't need to be because you don't want him to injure himself unnecessarily, right? That was always kind of the thing with Moran is walking that fine line. And I think Allison, not necessarily in the same boat, but pretty close to it. He played 24 games last year total, I believe, between the Flyers oh. and Phantoms because of the injury to lead off. And, like, that's not a lot, you know. So, I, I again, I understand that you want him in these games, but he is one of these guys with a, you know, an injury history, and he did fight in the first game, and... It just—it doesn't—it just doesn't seem like the smartest thing in the world that he played in that second game. You know, you should take care of players that. Hmm. How do I say this without offending somebody? Take play. Take care of players that don't. You know, put themselves the health of themselves first. You know, Wade Allison's a very selfless player, right? He's going to go out there and fight and get in these board battles when he doesn't necessarily have to. You need somebody else to be like, okay, Wade, just sit the fuck down for this game. Don't get involved. We'll work through it. Get back out there for training camp. Because now you're dealt with him for two months, you know? Because or of more. what? A rookie game? You know? It's, a, more, it's a high ankle sprain, isn't it? Is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. high ankle oh, sprain. that's brutal. Ligament and tendon damage. That stuff sticks for a long time. Long that's all, that's a situation so, where you almost, almost rather break your leg than you would deal with the high ankle sprain. I believe there was a Jack Eichel thing a couple of years back where he dealt with that. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, not great. I will be lucky to see him at the halfway point of the season. I mean, out indefinitely, that's that's months. I mean, that is months. So for a it's uncertain. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. it's uncertain when he's going to come back. And don't forget that that's your skating. Like mm-hmm. that's that that's right where yeah. your skate is. So like his ability to move up and down the ice and listen, his shot ain't, ain't going nowhere. He's got a great shot. But when is he going to be able to come back and 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 really impact and and be an impactful member of the team? It sucks. Like he was one of the few bright spots that from last year where you said when when the games were meaningless going down the stretch, that guy gave a shit. Yeah. That guy cared. That guy wanted to play. And for me, that that report card is already in the mail where you're saying, like, listen, this guy's already on the team. I'd rather take an extra long look at, you know, Connor McLennan. I'd rather take an extra long look at Tyson Forrester. I'd rather get an extra long look at Linus Sandine. I'd rather get other guys. I don't need to see Wade Allison in that second game. I know what I got. I like what I got. You were right on the money, Dan. It's It was 24 games between the AHL and the NHL last year, and he was practically identical. It was like nine points in 10 games, Something like four that. goals in the A, and he had four goals and three assists for seven points in 14 games in the NHL when the team was a disaster and had <laughs> nothing going for it. And he's like, a guy that's just as important off the ice as he is on the ice. You know, the attitude and the, the positivity that he brought was palpable, you know, last season, and it seems like he was doing again this year, um, you know, through the, you know, when he was sitting in in the, you know, media room and asking questions and whatnot. And it's just like, it's that kind of energy that I feel like we've been lacking for so goddamn long on this team. And, you know, luckily they brought in, you know, quite a few veterans to help the leadership group out in that sense. But man, it's just one of those guys that it's like, what the fuck? (laughs) Did we have to go through the season without him? This litany of injuries that we're seeing every single year with these Ron Hextall draft picks. I mean, I don't follow other teams, obviously, as closely as I do the Flyers, but I just... Is this is this is this unique to us? I mean, do other teams have to go through this every single year? These key players are are constantly with major injuries, just inhibiting them from developing. They're a year, two, three years behind. Almost all of them are. Yeah. Like, do other teams have to have to deal with this so frequently? It's every single fucking season. It's just it was driving me nuts a few years ago, and now I'm just like expecting it to happen every time it's just so bizarre to me i can't put my finger on it and the sad irony of it is last year what we heard from fletcher's press conference was while the canadian players didn't stay in shape while a bunch of players in the offseason didn't you know have a workout regimen and weren't able to get and they came you know not really ready to play and by all accounts, guys are in decent shape here in this pre, in, you know, in training camp and are looking pretty good. And then the injury bug just whacks them, you know, like it, it's like you can't catch a break here. Like either either guys aren't working out and they're just drinking beer and doing whatever, smoking cigars <laughs> yeah. or they or they come back. They had, you know, they're they're eating, you know, kale chips, you know, for their snacks and they're eating like, you know, vegan smoothies and everything else. And then they come back and they're in shape and they're all this. And they're chugging fish oil and omega threes, and and then they just high ankle sprain in a in a meaningless second rookie game. Like it's just oh, it's just it's irritating. It's so annoying. There's so many freak injuries. It's it's so problematic because you can't even figure out what the player is because you're like, well, he has potential. 
high ceiling. We have to wait another year to see, you know, what he's going to get to. It's like it's constantly just kicking the can down the road with these injuries because the team doesn't know anything. They don't know if this player is productive or not. I'd rather them just not get injured and all suck so the team understands what the fuck they are and can move on. Like, that is the problem. Radcliffe is another one of those guys as as well. You know, he's been all kinds of hype here during, you know, development camp and rookie camp and whatnot. Um, You know, had a real hard time adjusting to the pro level in 1920 and then had, you know, the pretty serious injury last year. We were collapsed lung and broken ribs and all that shit, which, you know, essentially put him on the back burner. He's coming in this year and, oh, my God, he looks great. And he's big. Listen, I want Radcliffe to succeed. I'm uh, I'm a sucker for a 6'6 guy, right? (laughs) But at the same time, it's Isaac Radcliffe in 2021, almost 2022. Who cares? You know what I mean? Like, fuck. Why is this guy still, you know, a a, a top level prospect for this fucking organization? I hope he succeeds, but like, God damn it, man. Like, why are we still doing this? And that goes to the point that uh, you and Anthony made on the the show, uh, I think it was last week. You know, when you go into a rookie camp and you sit there and you're like, whoa, Linus Sandin had a great camp. Yeah, he's 25. Like, he's played professional hockey in Sweden for years. He should be able to body a guy in his draft plus one year, a guy who's not even able to legally drink in the United States. He should be able to body that guy off the puck. If he's not, then there's a problem. Same with Isaac Ratcliffe. Dude, 6'6". Like, yes, he should be looking good. And you know what? Morgan Frost, to his credit, yes, he looked good. He needed to look good. Yep. And and I guess the caveat there, or the asterisk is, he looked good considering he's only played four periods of hockey in a year and a half. And I will say, I will give him that credit. You know, it's it's the other guys that I think is it's more impressive. Like for me, Tyson Forrester. Oh, is, I love him. Like Cam York to me is still the best prospect, but without question, Tyson Forrester is like right there. He's just, I, for me, he's number two with a bullet. Like he looked phenomenal so far. And the fact that like, I listen, I love the, you know, CHL and the OHL and all that stuff. Putting that guy back in Barry is, is just a slap in the face. Like he, as much as, you know, the OHL teams need the revenue, especially now, um, they just got word that they're expanding the attendance because the Toronto Maple Leafs got their exemption. So they gave everybody the exemption because the Leafs get everything that they want, including Amazon miniseries. Um, <laughs> but basically, like that guy needs to be in the AHL. He just does for him to really get better and to show his worth as in the development phase. He needs to be playing against tougher competition because that rookie game he made it look easy. Like the way that he can just connect on, on one time passes like that is, is special. Like we, we need to get this guy. I mean, listen, I'm not going to rush him, but he needs to be in the AHL playing against tough competition all season this year. OHL does nothing for a guy like that. I love me some Tyson Forrester. I hate, I hate, I hate getting invested in prospects. Especially after a fucking decade of doing it now. But sweet Jesus, I love Tyson Forrester. He was a guy last year. He has a very young face. He looks like he's 12 years old. And I remember, in my mind, when you see a kid, you know, that's 18, 19 years old, that looks like he's 12, I'm thinking he's about 5'6 and 130 pounds. And I remember watching the Phantoms, it was like one of the first games of the season, on TV, because we get it, because it's Service Electric, 
and he stands up and he's just as tall as everyone around him. I'm like, what? How big is this kid? He turns out he's a fucking big dude, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was at one live Phantoms game last year in the pandemic era, and I was right, uh, right along the goal line, the Phantoms goal line. And he was there. He he pulled an Ovi. He was in the left circle the entire game, just winding up and firing him. I'm like, oh, I love this kid. And now seeing that he's, you know, his game has gotten a lot better. There's a lot, you know, the the skating and whatnot, and. Um, he looks like a legitimate player. I'm not entirely sure if the AHL, OHL, uh, you know, the CHL thing in general is smoothed over yet, um, whether they're allowed in the AHL. I guess there is some rough waters, uh, whether it's official yet or not. But yeah, if he can go back to the Phantoms, I assume he's in the AHL this year. This is just a guy, and I wrote about this a couple times over the last little while, um, looking at Chuck Fletcher's draft picks, and just like... There seems to be so much more promise with a lot of these guys, you know. And it, the Hextall approach of, you know, using your early picks to be the smartest guy in the room and failing miserably. The German Rubsovs and Jay O'Brien's of the world. You're wasting fucking draft picks. And then the later rounds, you're going for guys like Turinsky and Bonneman and Shushko and Kasha. All these guys that are fine hockey players but have zero NHL potential, right? I just feel like Fletcher is drafting players with a, with a lot of raw skill and then letting him fucking develop. And that's a crazy thought here in 2021. I realize that. But, like, you know, Cam York, uh, 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 Forrester, uh, the other guy, the fucking... <laughs> I don't have any list in front of me right now. Tuomala, yeah. Uh, you know, Zaid Wisdom. And he's just like all of these guys. Elliot Desnoyer, or the fuck his goddamn name is. You know, just these people that have all this raw skill and talent that look like they can be legitimate stars somewhere down the line. And it's like, why is this so hard? You know? So Chuck Fletcher, and this was a guy, I wrote about this as well. You can look it up on the website. You know, he was a pretty piss poor drafter for the Minnesota Wild. He had like one good pick every year and then would eventually trade that pick away. But that's a different story for a different day. But like nothing in the later rounds throughout his entire fucking drafting career outside of like Kaprizov right now. Like that's it. And he was there for like a decade. But, you know, he's really drafted real well here. And he's filled this, you know, this this pipeline, which was getting kind of empty because all the Ron Hextall picks are in the NHL now. He's filled it with some players that look like they could be legitimate studs down the line. You know, they just have the flat-out offensive ability to be productive. So, hopefully this is the case and Forrester could hang in the NHL, you know, if and when the time comes. I don't think we see him this year. It's probably next year at the earliest. But, you know, these are guys that I'm actually kind of excited to to see make the NHL down the line. Yeah, I think that, that Fletcher's drafting philosophy, and I don't know if this is from him and Brent Flair, how they see things, how the scouts see things or what. But but to me, it seems like the players he's drafting have a reasonable timeline to get to the NHL. Whereas players that Ron Hextall drafted seem to be like, oh, we'll just let him go to college for four years and then two years and in the AHL. Seven years in the AHL yeah. and you'll be here and by then, the time you're 30. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's ridiculous. And they were fine with that. With like most players like, oh, well, it takes a long time. It's like, no, it doesn't take four, five, six years yeah. for a player to make an impact. Granted, these guys are young when they're drafted. Most of them need another year in juniors, maybe two years, maybe some light seasoning in the AHL. And then they should be NHL ready in probably about, I don't know, three years. That's kind of my cutoff. If you're going more than three years, that's just god-awfully annoying to me. 
And maybe a couple players, it's fine. But when it turns out to be like the majority of your draft picks are these guys taking four, five, six years to even have an opportunity to play at this level, there's something wrong with that. I mean, it should not take that long. You shouldn't have all these rookies in their mid-20s that are playing for your team. That's just absolutely wrong to me. And I think Fletcher's timeline on the players he's got, and I agree with you, Dan, about how these guys seem to have higher ceilings as well. But I think the timelines are more reasonable. He's drafting guys that maybe need a year or two in college or a year or two outside the league, but then they're knocking on the door in that third year. That's reasonable to me. That makes sense. I can get my mind around that and support that. I can't get around the four, five, six, seven-year plans that Ron Hextall wanted with players. And I don't know what you look for, you know, like that's a scouting thing, that's a GM thing, but it seems to be a trend that I've noticed as a distinction from Fletcher as compared to Hextall. See, and especially I know that with like on Brotherly Pod, a lot of times we talk about timelines and things like that. I think it makes a lot more sense with the type of talent that Fletcher has drafted where you sit there and you go, you know what? This guy's got a hell of a shot. So we're he's got an A shot and the rest of his game is, you know, a B and he's solid everywhere else or a B minus. But he's got that one thing that he's really good at. And then you got a guy like Cam York, excellent skater, excellent at puck handling. We'll see if the offense and everything translates, you know, in in the pro game. But everything else from the skating aspect and the puck handling is phenomenal. Whereas Hextall's philosophy was, let's get guys that are pretty good at everything. So you're not going to have an A in anything. But you're going to be a B in like, you know, puck handling, shot, face-offs, defensive Mm -hmm. awareness. And that's fine, but you're getting all the same type of player. They're all the 200-foot responsible player. And I think that, as Mike alluded to, that means that they're going to be spending the full NCAA four years. They're going to be spending, you know, extra time in that AHL, learning the defensive side of the game, because that's really what they're going to be projecting to be. They're going to be middle six guys, if not bottom six guys for the most part. And the difference is now you've got guys that are in drafted where York will be a full-time player, I think, next year. I don't think it's going to be this year. I think he'll get some time, but I think next year is going to be his you know, coming mm-hmm. out party. You're going to have, I think, Forrester is next year. He's yeah. going to be in the NHL next year. They're going to give him the full year in the A. Great. And then the timeline, like the year after that, you know, maybe you'll see, you know, a Tuamala or a Wisdom, you know, or if not, it'll be the year after that, certainly. And there's going to be guys that are going to be popping in once you get some more of the older guys and the vets and other contracts expire. And that's where you can keep sustaining this team and keep moving. Yeah. Whereas Hextall was, you know, this guy's going to be ready four or five years from now. And then, meanwhile, it's year after year of, okay, we'll take another 200-foot hockey player. And that guy will be ready another four or five years from now. And you're not actually concretely bringing guys in every two to three years from your Uh prospect pool. Instead, it becomes this same old, same old, and you hang on to old, overpriced vets that you no other team really wants to play. And they end up being on this team for way too long 
Latera, Vandevelde, Philpola. Oh, I mean, the list goes on and on. <laughs> Must Please. be with and, these names right yeah. now. <laughs> and we don't go anywhere. And that was the frustrating thing. And that's why Hextall's time ran out. And why he's going to destroy the Penguins? <laughs> it's already started. Yeah. They had a they had a bad off season. I'm not surprised. <laughs> you know, the timeline is an interesting. Thing. I don't think it's something that I thought about a lot about. But you know, Hextall of we're going to be competitive in you know 10, 15 years down the road, and we can just let these guys marinate till the end of fucking time in the AHL. Versus Fletcher, who's moving them along at the pace that they are showing. <laughs> Plain and simple makes a lot of sense, I guess. Who would have thought, you know? Just, yeah, really? Who would have thought? It, just letting people develop their own They don't need to overthink this stuff. It's not, it's, it's hard, but it's not rocket science. That's honestly been one of my favorite parts about <laughs> Fletcher and really AV both has just been their simplicity towards their approach to the offseason. And uh, I put a tweet out there. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, AV quoted an explanation uh, why Frost and Broussard were getting first cracks at the two C and three C roles in camp. Uh, Vigneault said that he wants to use Frost in his ideal role, that of a top six forward, and see if he can handle it. As for Broussard, he said uh, he played his best hockey there when he was referring to the three C. And it's like, that's just, that's simple shit. You know? <laughs> that's good, smart, simple shit that anybody with two fucking brain cells to rub together can tell you that you put Frost in his desired thing. And it's like, they're not trying to big brain this. They're not trying to... You know, do anything crazy. They're just going to do what works. And Fletcher gave a lot of these quotes in the offseason as well. Um, you know, uh, and it hurt last season when they lost low maintenance, high character vets, uh, threw a little too much on the young players. It's more vet oriented, deeper team, upgraded D on paper. Uh, young players in camp will all have uh, to significantly outplay a vet to win the opening roster spot. And when he's talking to players like Wazinski, and it's like, this is just stuff that, like, I feel like. It's so simple, and it's so easy. And after so many years of just Ron Hextall fucking us, and, you know, the, the whatever the hell last season was under Chuck Fletcher, you know, it's just it's nice seeing this team just kind of go back to basics because you don't have to overthink a lot of this stuff, right? Like, it's not rocket science. It's just a lot of it is just basic understanding of how to put a fucking hockey team on the ice, you know? And it seems like they're kind of going back to that this year and just taking a very simple approach, which at the end of the day is all you need. You know, you don't have to be crazy here. You just need to put a good team out there and, and do things that make sense. And they should theoretically pan out. Now it's on, you know, players like Morgan Frost to see whether he can hang in that role, but putting them on the second line with, you know, JVR and Farabee sounds a whole lot better than putting them on the fourth line with, you know, Thompson and fucking Abe Kubel, right? It just makes sense. So I'm glad two people in charge in this team are fucking adults and know what they're talking about. <laughs> One thing that I think AV or Fletcher said recently this week, too, was they were talking about, I think it was Ryan Ellis, and that they needed, I forget the exact words that were used, but something like, they needed like a veteran that actually knows what he's doing back there. And it's like a good player. Mm, yeah. And, and I'm thinking, and they like alluded to that in the context of um, helping the younger guys kind of come along, understand how they're supposed to be a pro, how to play in the league responsibilities, that sort of stuff. And I can't help but think, and we talked about this ad nauseum is why wasn't a player like Ryan Ellis gotten six or seven years ago as part of the foundation when this rebuild or wherever the hell it was started, it just, why did they not invest the resources into that? They tried to force fit Andrew McDonald into that oh, role, God. which anybody, 
I mean, any moron could see that he is not nearly the type of player as a Ryan Ellis would be that that can be in there to start the foundation for the defense. That's why this failed for so long and why this offseason had to happen was because they never had that. They never had. They had a little glimpse of a Matt Niskanen at the very end of his career. They got a small taste of it, but they needed a guy seven years before that in order to make this happen. So that just frustrates me because I'm glad that he said that, but that's exactly what we were talking about should have, should have happened so long ago. God damn. Ex- McDonald and Vandevelde and Laterra have all been mentioned on the show tonight. I do not appreciate that. <laughs> we're supposed to be moving forward, boys. <laughs> not How about Peter White? Oh, God. Yeah, it's a little compare and contrast, you know. We looking back in the in the past to make sure that uh, we're not making the same mistakes again moving forward. Yeah, well, <laughs> hey, we we know the value of you know rookie scrimmage games now. It's it's just like Whitey's world. Yeah. You know, yeah. Patrick was dominating and oh, Whitey's world up in Winnipeg. But uh, yeah, I don't know. The thing about and I've taken a lot of flack the last couple of weeks too like oh you were the guy that was screaming that you know chuck fletcher was you know wasn't going to change anything i didn't say he wasn't going to change anything i said they need to change something when they were getting pummeled nine nothing to the new york rangers not once <laughs> but twice five like times nine, throughout the season nine yeah. three or whatever it was the idea and again that's where Twitter doesn't do a good job. You know, context is lacking. Yep. It's like when you tell somebody, oh, my God, I paid a million dollars for this car. Like, it, you didn't actually pay a million dollars. It's like a figure of speed. But it's it's about going back to this well of let's bring back everybody again for one more go around because of COVID. And I'm sorry, but no. Like, that time, that ship has sailed. We needed new blood. We needed new things. And People are going to sit there and say, see, I told you they were going to change 40% of their roster. See, I told you they were going to change a third of the roster. No, you didn't. None of you said that that was going to happen. People out there, even the most optimistic people, where a guy like Ant Sanfilly said, well, I think they're going to change six to eight guys on the roster. And a lot of people were like, are you crazy? They're not going to change six to eight guys. You might get, you know, two or three and then everything after that is gravy. Fletcher, listen, I said it before, and I gave the guy credit. He did a great job with that roster overhaul. He totally exceeded my expectations. The idea of running it back was just so abhorrent to me <laughs> that you could not go and do that like at all. And the fact that there's so many people out there, those run it back people have been very quiet on Twitter like really quiet and they are sitting there. They are wait. They are just dying to jump on Rasmus Ristolainen. Oh yeah. They're just waiting for Nate Thompson to get more than 10 minutes of ice time in a game. And they're going to start with the whole, there's AV playing favorites again with the veterans. Mm -hmm. He hates the young guys. They're waiting. They're waiting for Morgan Frost to have that bad game, you know, against a center stack team. And then they're going to put Broussard or somebody in for a game just to kind of let him reset. And this whole narrative, like the, the hatred and the venom, the love affair is going to get over. Um, and that's the thing. It's just I'm just happy that it's something different. And there's actually 
new storylines to follow, new people to follow, new line combinations, new specialty, like new everything. Let's get at it. I want to see this team in action. Start the season already. Damn yeah, with this. I've, uh, I've gotten quite a bit of that as well. And, you know, whether it was the podcast or the website, like I always tried to make sure to note that the reason I didn't have a lot of faith in Chuck Fletcher going into the summer is just like he didn't have the track record for this shit. You know, right. nothing he did in Minnesota ever was anything close to this. Nothing he did in Philadelphia was anything ever close to this. So for him to go out there and flip, uh, flip the players that he did and make the crazy moves that he did, like the Gostas Bear trade and shit like that, like that's something that we just haven't seen uh-huh. from a GM in Christ knows how long, you know, let alone somebody who has been as gun shy in the past as Chuck Fletcher was. So, yeah, I had my friggin' doubts that after a shitty season where he didn't do anything, that all of a sudden he was going to change his tone and do whatever he did this summer. But, uh, again, I've I, I've admitted that I was wrong on this one. But, you know what, it was just, it was also just what needed to be done, you know? It's not like you could have ran it back with any kind of clarity for one more time. We gotta give Nolan Patrick one more chance. No, he's out of fucking chances, okay? This team was at the fucking worst hockey they've ever played in their history last season. You, this was you couldn't. We're not in a scenario where you could run it back again. This was the natural response to what happened, and it was just a matter of fact of whether Chuck Fletcher had the balls to make it happen, and he did. You know, like I listen. I realize that we're all we're in a weird spot right now. You know, where the team could very well be successful this year for the first time in Christ knows how long. You know, we're go, you you're relying on a lot of veterans and and. You know, man, he just talked through it. You know, everybody's waiting for Ristolainen to fail. Everybody's waiting for Sanheim to have one good game so they get to go, see, he's carrying Ristolainen. And they're waiting for Thompson and Broussard to fail. And, you know, all this other shit. And it's just like, why? <laughs> like, why can't we just try and enjoy this hockey team? There have been few times in my adult life where I've had the opportunity of enjoying the Flyers. Can we just please give this a little bit of time before the train comes off the tracks so I can be happy? I put the tweet out today. This will be the 10th year anniversary since the 2012 Flyers Pen Series. 10 years! Okay? It's been a long time since I've had fun. Watching this Best stupid fucking hockey seen. team. Okay, let me have it for a little while. Let me have Rista line and having fun in camp before you fucking tear my heart out. Okay, so let's just let's enjoy it. <sighs> yeah, I couldn't agree more. I I cannot agree more. I don't I don't really think we we had we said anything wrong about Chuck Fletcher. You know, prior to this off season, there was legitimate skepticism. Just stating facts. On, on him and the organization, the organization was in a, a stagnant bucket of cow dung for <laughs> nine years in a row. Why would we think all yeah. of a sudden that everything was going to get flipped upside down like it like it eventually did? And that's great, and, and we're glad he did it, but we weren't saying that there's no way in hell he does anything. We're saying, look, we have some skepticism here because of his track record, like you mentioned, because of the Flyers' track record as an organization prior to him and his first two years here. You know, that's completely fair. We said the entire time that we were going to give him to the full end of the offseason to make a final assessment. Well, guess what? That's exactly what we've done. Yep. So – we were consistent throughout our entire analysis on Chuck Fletcher through the summer into this offseason, um, into this coming season. So 
I have no qualms about anything that we had mentioned. I think that we were right on the money. Um, and props to Chuck Fletcher for making it happen. So, yeah, like you guys mentioned, it's going to be exciting time. Everybody should be excited. They have a good mix of players. It sucks that, you know, we had to talk for an hour about fucking injuries, but that's the thing that's going on right now. Um, so hopefully they can get over those and uh, and we see some exciting hockey. Yeah, I mean, in all honesty, I, I gave Chuck less of a leash. You guys definitely gave him, you know, let's give him the offseason. I was a little bit less you know, forgiving in that sense. But yeah, the idea behind it though, the spirit behind it was you need to make changes. Yes. Yeah. And you know what? The guy made changes. Yeah. So it is what it is. It's all and I all wanted. These- this is all I fucking wanted of Chuck Fletcher was to turn the team around and we'll see what happens on ice. But other than screwing me out of Sam Reinhardt, which I'm still salty about, he did everything that I could have wanted from him this year. You know, yeah. like, this is it. This is the team that I wanted. I wanted difference. If, even if they're going to lose, great, we're doing it with different yep. players. I don't have to watch Nolan fucking Patrick every night. I can watch Nate Thompson now. You know what I mean? Like, fuck, it's just something different. That's all I ask. That's all I can ask for right now. I, I just I just hate seeing all the Nostra dumbasses out on Twitter saying, see, I told you. I told you they were going to get Ryan Ellis. See, yeah. I told you they were going to get all. You guys didn't know none of that. <laughs> yeah, like, no. like, seriously, come on. Just, just get over yourself. But um, <laughs> did you guys see the other piece of uh, of news in the hockey world today? Well, other than the Jack Eichel stuff. That was my guess. I don't know if. I don't know if you wanted to talk about that, but the Washington Capitals unleashed their uh, their new advertising. Oh, the uh, jerseys, the, the mm. sweater. So Caesars, I guess Caesars Palace Sportsbook or whatever is going to be their uh, jersey sponsor for the 2022-23 season. You remember remember when it was a big deal when TCS. Uh, was on the Flyers' uh, helmets, and nobody knew what the hell TCS was in a brilliant advertising campaign, as Mike alluded to (laughs) on our earliest frequent flyer, that these morons had no idea what they're... Nobody even knows. I still don't know what they do. I have no idea. idea. Some kind of Indian company, I think. I don't remember what they did. It's just not... It's not a good fit for for the crowd watching. Do we know what's going to be in their helmet this year? I don't know, but I started thinking Mm. about... The top five yes. advertisements for Flyers jerseys for the 2022-23 season. Number five, Steven Singer Jewelers, <laughs> Philly original. And, uh, you know, after all, uh, with all of this newfound optimism, you know, put in your orders now for that Flyer Stanley Cup championship ring. Pre-order it today for that special person in your life. <laughs> Steven Singer Jewelers. You got to love Steven Singer. I've actually been to that store when I was in Philadelphia. So there you go. Um, number four, Wonder Bra. I must admit, I am obsessed with the bra lady now. Thanks, Mike. It's all your fault. Um, You're one sicko, Manny. <laughs> I have... I am on a mission. I got to find this woman. If she's still around, I got to find her. I've been following older women on Twitter and they're refollowing me back on Flyers Twitter and I need to I need to interview her. I really do. And you know what? It's okay. Bra lady, if you're listening, please I need to know your name. Even just the first name, okay? We'll get her just on to the get show. warmed up. <laughs> yeah. Even if you're a little worried to come on Brotherly Pod, it's okay. I can interview you at a nice, you know, Michelin restaurant with some oysters and You're some nice Pinot Grigio. 
it's all good. We'll all, we'll do the interview. I mean, look, I'm I'm following all these people that are even older than Nick Costa now. Holy it's crazy! Shit. It's crazy, crazy. Number I'm three, <laughs> number three, Mister Clean Magic Eraser. Great for cleaning up all types of messes in the house. Also great for scrubbing your Flyers Twitter account. Yeah, you know who we're talking about, you people that never made any uh, any errors before in your prognostications. Sure you haven't. Uh, number two, DraftKings. Of course, everybody knows DraftKings. Put together your all-star lineup in sports betting. FYI, Ron Hextall, not a draft king, since he went with Vandevelde and Laterra every single game for seasons on end, never won a goddamn thing. He is not a draft king. Shame on you, Ron Hextall. And the number one advertisement on the Flyers jerseys for 2022-2023, Flex Seal. If you have holes on your roster or in the bottom of your boat, Get Flex Seal. Chuck Fletcher approved. It fixes everything. That would be We great. love you, Chuck. We love you, Chuck. Dave Scott, I still hate you, but Chuck Fletcher, much respect, Chuck. <laughs> yeah, fuck, man. I would love any one of those on the helmet. They should use all of them. They should rotate them. Just those five, though. <laughs> Not a bad idea. See what they I would like to party. see... One of the uh, one of the strip clubs on the helmet that would just be great. You know, the ads all the time on the radio. So, seeing one of those uh, adult entertainment venues, I think would be pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, they've got the best names here in Toronto. We've got uh, the Airport Strip, which is right by the airport, of course. Ah. The Brass Rail, yeah. which had a huge uh, COVID outbreak uh, early on in the pandemic. There's, there's a, uh, there's, a, there's, a there's a regular like fancy restaurant here called the brass rail around oh. this area up in allentown is that yeah. that special diner that uh, mr shane went to <laughs> i don't know i don't that was a brilliant question on load management by the way that was re- really excellently done oh is that you <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was me <laughs> that was you you popped us both so good job but uh holy shit right now i'm 12 minutes in yeah Guess we'll wrap it up here. We've got to continue to follow the storylines of camp. First preseason game, I believe, is Tuesday. Uh, the regular season opens uh, a couple weeks from tonight, which is good. I can't wait. Um, busy schedule coming up. Noli Pot on Sunday. Anthony's back on Monday. We got Mike Morale from uh, NHL.com. He's a Devils guy coming on. And then uh, we're going to record Flyerside Chapman tonight, but I believe that'll go up Wednesday um, for the time being. So, busy week uh, as we're getting back into the uh, regular rotation of shows here. So, uh, at Dan the Flyer Fan, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore pod. I believe BrotherlyPuck.com is back up and running, um, uh, which is good. Plenty of shit up there. And, uh, Manny, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can, uh, tell me how much that you, all of your predictions came true uh, on Twitter this off season and be full of yourself, uh, at Manny Benavidez. And as always, uh, go to brotherlypuck.com. Awesome. Awesome site for all your flyers, uh, news speculation, great top fives that Mr. Dan puts forward, great draft reviews that Mr. Noah puts forward and, uh, lots of great content from all our great supporters, uh, and contributors and keep those five-star reviews coming on the, uh, 
Brotherly Pod shows. We have had lots of good feedback from you guys. Keep listening. And as always, thank you so much for uh, giving us a listen. I've been inspired with the top five list lately. I didn't write many of them for the past year. I did the top five players you forgot series last year for every fucking team in the league. Oh my God. And uh, I had a lot of fun writing them because there's a lot of shit that I learned. But when you write the same thing 30 times, I was ready to fucking KMS, as the kids say. And uh, I, I came up with a few good ideas over the last few weeks. And I've been enjoying top five lists again. So I refound my, my love for what got me started in this biz. So that's that. Um, Mike! Nice. All right. You can find me on Twitter at flyer underscore AF. And that's all I got, boys. <laughs> bra lady at me. Yep. At me, bra lady. Come on. I know you're listening. No judgment, nothing. Just a good talk. We got to get that bra throwing stuff uh, going in the playoffs. The Wings got the octopus. Nashville's got the catfish. San Jose's got the shark. Yeah, we're going to get the bras out there on the ice. We get some younger women involved in that this year. That might be a welcome change. <laughs> lots of support. We need lots of support this season. Lots of support. All right, everybody. And on that note, goodbye and good night. <laughs>